Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to episode nine of Coffee and Contemplation with Women. All of the women I've had as guests so far have been women I've known or met over the past 20 years or so, uh, women whom I've had a really good chance to meet and understand. And I'm really grateful for their offer to contribute their stories in the first 10 podcasts of this new series. Uh, today's guest is a girl I know also, but not so well. So I'm going to learn a little bit about her as well today, as much as you will, and what makes up this woman as a whole. Uh, today we are talking with Naomi Pick. Uh, Naomi is a bicenarian or woman in her 20s. What I do know about Naomi is that she's a passionate scientist, a beautiful cook. I've seen her in a few Instagram clips dancing up a storm and singing out loud on a dance floor. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's, you. that's the one, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Naomi's 25, she's now married, and she is mother of a lovely cat. Um, what's your cat's name? Uh, Addie. Addie, is it? Yeah, <laughs> a cat mum. So welcome, Naomi. Yes. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, for joining me. And I think when um, I first told you and um, Samantha, my, my daughter, about the podcast, she mentioned that you might put your mum forward. And I thought, actually, yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was actually more interested in hearing a little bit about you because I know you are a mix of, I said, that, that passion around science and about cooking um, and that you've even you know, created a community group recently and that's um, something that I've participated in. I can see that you are, are drawing people together through this hard yes. time we're going through. So I sort of really wanted to hear a little bit about you. Um, so, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you like to start with? Would you like to maybe just go through it um, from the beginning and say, well, what's your earliest memory? Sure. Well, yes. <laughs> my earliest memory, it took me a while to try and figure out what my earliest memory was. I know I was really young. I had to ask my mum for some help with this one. <laughs> but um, so it, my earliest memory was from when I was two years old and I was a very, I took things very literally when I was a kid. So I remember helping my mom up um, around the house with some jobs as you do when you're two and you don't know how to help. Yeah. <laughs> and she handed me this toilet roll and she's like, Oh, Naomi, can you go put this in the toilet for me? And I was like, okay, cool. So I was like walking down the hallway, walk, walked into the toilet room and I'm like, she said in the toilet, didn't she? Oh, I was no. standing there for like 30 <laughs> seconds um, and I was like, oh, we usually put it on the holder because it doesn't go in the toilet. But then she said to put it in the toilet. I'm like, oh, you know what? She said in the toilet. So I dropped it in the toilet and then it swelled up and you see this big blob of toilet roll just like, you know, swelling like a life, like a life thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> and um, I totally freaked out. I was only two and I still remember this freak out. I shut the door, ran off and pretended like I had, done the job that she wanted and um about half an hour later I'm like oh no she's walking to the toilet oh, no. <laughs> and she opens the door and she's like Naomi J Davis <laughs> oh it was so embarrassing I still remember it. I still remember getting in so much trouble that day <laughs> oh no you're so young so little to be a helper <laughs> yes I know <laughs> it's a good memory though I <laughs> know oh, that's lovely yeah hey um what was that also the naughtiest thing you felt you did as a child or um, well, I, I don't know. I feel like I did a lot of naughty things when I was oh. a child, but, um, probably the naughtiest thing that I ever did was with my evil sidekick, my sister. Um, and in, it was around 2005, I was 10 and my sister was 12 and 
um, online gaming had just become a big, big thing. And we were obsessed with this game called Have a Hotel, where you have, you know, a virtual reality and you can create a little person and you get a room and you can decorate it with all these different things. You can get pets. And we decided, let's get pets. Like, we'll just deck out our houses and get these pets because um, you could, like, feed your pet and buy it food. It was really cute. Um, and so we decided to get the home phone and call up the Havo hotline where you could basically call, give them your number and they would give you credits and it would charge $3 to a phone bill. And we got really into it. And so we kept calling the hotline to get as many points as we wanted because <laughs> we needed a certain amount of points to get the pets. And then we wanted to get couches and all this other stuff. And you just, it, it just kept going. Um, and then I remember like we thought we we thought we wouldn't get in trouble. We'd, I don't know how we thought we wouldn't get in trouble, but a few weeks later a phone bill comes and <laughs> mum was like, Oh my god, you children <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. It was actually linked so easily to a phone bill back then, wasn't it? Was it was so easy and yeah. like she had no, mum had no way of stopping it, so she decided to take her internet cable to work and ah. we had no internet for a few weeks. <laughs> oh that, no. That, I guess like it would be harder nowadays because everyone relies on the internet, like for Netflix and everything. But back then, I guess your internet was just for online gaming for us kids and for your parents yeah. to check the, to check their emails. And you know, you could yeah. live for two weeks without the internet. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit like was it Farmville was around the same era, wasn't it? I think something mm. those, type, those type of games started coming in that weren't any like just PC CDs anymore that you popped in. No, were, yeah. That was good. That Farmville on, I think that was one of the Facebook games and yeah, everyone got obsessed with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was even involved with that one, but um, yeah, I've been yeah. hearing about Habbo Hotel, but yeah. hey, um, at the end of your life, what would you like to have accomplished? Well, I have a few things that I would like to accomplish in my life. Mm -hmm. um, first one would be to travel with my husband. Um, so he's Maltese. So we've always wanted to go to Malta and my mum is English and we have a lot of family in England. So we, always wanted to go there as well and yeah. would also like to see Italy because it would be beautiful and the food would be amazing oh. and I just want to travel to all the places where there's yummy food yeah <laughs> yeah it's beautiful yes and um one of the other things is that we would really love to have a couple of children and have them raised as really strong compassionate and happy children yeah. and I would like to be able to pass my cooking skills on to someone <laughs> <laughs> Not just cook for them, but actually have them. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's good. It's good fun with my nieces, get, teaching them how to cook. So it'd be nice to be able to do that with my own kids one day. Where did your cooking um, skills come from? Is that something that was to do with your where you were headed as a career, or what? What's that all about? Um, so it it was so my dad he was a chef when he was younger. Um, so we kind I kind of grew up really liking. Um, chefing and cooking and everything and as I grew up I you know I had a few things that I wanted to be um I started off wanting to be an artist and then I wanted to be a surgeon for a few years and <laughs> then um when I was 16 I decided that I wanted to do chefing and I started an apprenticeship and left school and spent three years um working in the city in some really lovely fine dining restaurants and it was it was really good it was oh. so much fun um but you know i it's a very restricting career um, in, in certain ways. You've got to be a really um, a certain type of person to be able to work in a kitchen. You don't really get to see much of your family and you're working, you know, nights for eternity. Yeah. <laughs> it feels yeah. Like. Um, and when I started dating Greg, I was, I couldn't really deal with, you know, not, <laughs> not being able to have any um, social life and, 
I kind of realized, you know, I can cook at home. I can, I can cook for the rest of my life. You have to cook to eat. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've, yeah. Learned, you've done a lot in um, the, the space between school and now being 25. The, yes, um, I know. <laughs> I was just realizing that that's, that's a hell of a lot to fit in. How did you do that? Yeah. You, you've also studied to be a scientist. So. Yeah, so I was I was 16 when I started my chefing apprenticeship, and then mm. I was 18 when I left the apprenticeship. Um, and because I had dropped out of school, I had to go to TAFE, um, and I went and got my year 12 certificate for TAFE, um, ah, Queensland. Okay. And then I started my four-year university degree um, in medical science. And two years ago now, two and a half years ago, I started working as a hematology scientist. Okay. Um, yeah. Ladies, so yeah, it all kind of like back to back <laughs> it just kept on going yeah yeah just kept going <laughs> yeah is um is science something that you would be doing a lot of like continuing professional development in or is it something like now you are in that role um like say not comparing it all because it's such a different but say yeah. being a secretary you are a secretary yeah and that's it yeah. so when you become a scientist do you do you see it as something that's um somewhere you've got a vision to take it to or what how does that work I guess it, I guess it depends um, which way you go with it. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people, you can either stay as a scientist and just um, do that. You can take it towards research. You could, um, you can do fellowships in hematology and certain other um, areas and become get into management. So, like if you if you do a fellowship, it's kind of a bridge between your science degree and maybe a medicine degree, but it's specific to that field of hematology and um, a lot of our managers they do that before they get into management so they can um, have a better idea of um, what happens in behind the scenes in a lab and everything and you know it's it's very good there's a lot of different ways you can go about it we do have continuing education um, within our department as well um, mm. where if you find an interesting case you know though you can do a poster and you can present it at conferences and um, oh, okay. do different um presentations it's it's quite good <laughs> yeah so so you've been a um a scientist now for two years and yep. you um you're working in hematology is that right right yes. now that's the department you've chosen to work yes in. yeah um is that what department you will um specialize in then for the next few years yeah i i think so i i think with science you know the degree, the degree that we do is so multidiscipline. You, you're trained to work in all of the different departments. So you can always, you know, decide, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit tired of working in, say, hematology. Might as well move to microbiology. But then you have to start back at the beginning and it takes a long time to, to um, learn that entire department from the beginning. So I, I quite like working in hematology. I think I'll, I think I'll stay in there and, you know, I might specialise later see how it goes <laughs> yeah what's the, what's the coolest thing that you've found or seen in your job so far um the coolest thing that i've seen um and found was in 2018 there was a patient who came back from um the united states and i was looking at the blood film because it was a bit abnormal and they ha this patient had these inclusions in their red blood cells and it was we thought it was malaria at first um, and it wasn't malaria, it was actually Babesia, which is a similar parasite to malaria, but it's only found in America. So okay. we very rarely see it in Australia. Um, and it was just because the patient had traveled back from America and it was, yeah, it was, it was very rare. Um, I think there's been maybe two or three cases in Australia where we've actually seen that parasite. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. So that was pretty cool. And I got to present that, um, at a conference and yeah, it was, oh, did it was you? good. Oh. 
that's cool. So um, yeah. what, what do you think that people who aren't in your profession, um, how do they view scientists? Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just had a drink, sorry. You're fine. Um, so I, I think a lot of people don't actually know that laboratory scientists really exist. Um, we're kind of hidden away from what the society see. Um, when you usually get go to see a doctor and you get a pathology request, you go to a collection center and get your blood drawn. And then when the results are ready, your doctor calls you and tells you if you you need, need a follow-up test or if you're fine. Um, but behind the scenes, there's so much more that happens. So your blood is collected um, and then it's taken by a courier driver to a main lab. Our main lab is in Bowen Hills and it's massive. <laughs> okay. um, and then scientists will process your blood or other specimens that it might that you might have um, and will determine if your results are normal or abnormal. Then pathologists get in and they diagnose um, a lot of the cancers. So if you think you might have a patient with cancer, it gets referred to the pathologists. They do the diagnosis and then they tell your doctor. So there's a lot of, there's a lot that kind of happens between when you get, you know, your specimen collected and when your doctor tells you what's wrong. Yeah. So is it um to me I I just pictured then when you're talking about that like human error. Is there a, yes. a risk of human error in say not picking up something or is it Yeah, so there's a, there's a huge amount of human error. A lot of a lot of laboratory errors actually um are from collections. So they, if a if a collector draws your blood and then they might label it incorrectly or get your blood mixed with the next patient. Ah, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And that's, that's usually where the most of our lab errors come in. But um, yeah, I guess there, there's always a risk that someone will misdiagnose or mm. um, not notice an abnormality. And, you know, that, that is always a possibility, which is, you know, why they put you in um, university for four years, I guess. Yes, <laughs> that's right. It yeah. takes a long time. It <laughs> yeah. takes a long time to get trained. And then if you're ever in doubt, always send it to a pathologist and um, they'll give everything a once over. You know, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, fail-safes to make sure that the patient care is always, you know, number one. Yeah. So once, so if you say come across something, does it then go up to another level and someone else does a yeah. second opinion or anything like that or? Yeah, absolutely. So anything yeah. that we find which is abnormal, we will um, we'll give that to our pathologists and they will have a look at the blood or, and they'll either confirm that what, what the scientists saw it was there yep. or they'll decide, no, it's not really that, it's more of this. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of second opinions and um, double checking. Yeah. Because okay. at the end of the day, like, you know, especially with hematology, it's, it's based on what you're visualizing down a microscope and, you know, blood cells don't read textbooks. They don't know to look perfectly, you know, like there's so much variation that's normal and so much variation that's abnormal. And there's, there's a lot of gray areas. So it's always good to have those um, pathologists. They do a really good job of double checking our work. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Like when we do, as you said, when we, we don't really picture what actually happens with the, the blood that gets taken away. And that you really, no. think, oh my God, I've got to wait two days for the results, you know, but you know, all that work going yeah. on in the background. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think we, we do about 4,000, three and a half, 4,000 samples a day on our busy days. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's, it's yeah. quite a lot of, quite a lot of work. I mean, we don't look under a microscope at every patient. A lot of them, if they're normal, they'll authorize. And um, if it's abnormal, then, then we have a look at it. Um, okay. But 
yeah, it's, it's quite, quite a journey between getting your blood drawn and finding out if you have anything wrong with you. Yeah. Hey, um, what impact do you think your profession has? Uh, pathology has a massive impact. Mm. <laughs> um, I did actually write down some facts for this. So oh, okay. in pathology, 70% of all diseases in all, like any, any patient, um, 70% of all diseases are diagnosed by pathology and a hundred percent of all cancers are diagnosed by pathology. Mm. So any, huge. Yeah. yeah, any, any condition that you are likely to have as you grow older or even in childhood, you know, you need pathology to diagnose that, to monitor your treatments, um, to determine remission. So patients with cancer, the way of determining if they've, you know, achieved remission is to make sure that there's no cancer left. You need pathologists and scientists to go in there and have a look at those specimens and, you know, make sure that it's definitely gone it's there's there's so much um of an impact on patients <laughs> yeah that's just pretty amazing then that you've actually you found this without it being something as being one of your key drivers as being a child to be i'm, I'm going to be a scientist so do you are you yeah. grateful like, what do you feel like the the choice of being a chef or being uh, a scientist how do you feel now that you're in the space you are i well in a way i'm glad that i've done both <laughs> yeah i i really appreciate all of the time that i learned um in the kitchen and in in a way science and cooking are very similar like you need that same part of a brain you're a bit a bit creative but also you follow procedures and um yeah i guess i guess i didn't know that i was going to go into medical science when i left my career as a chef I just mm. knew that I really enjoyed science in school and I really enjoyed math and I thought you know I might as well focus my career path along those um those subjects because I knew that's what interested me and if I was going to find a career it needed to be something that I would find interesting mm. um, and once I did some research I realized that um the medical laboratory science um university degree covered so many subjects that I was really interested in it turns out that that's what working in a lab is you get to work in you know you get to work in all the subjects that you're interested in so yeah. it's quite fantastic I, yeah. I didn't really know much about the career before I started the university degree and yeah I wouldn't change it for the world <laughs> no I was great it's great hey um with COVID-19 is COVID-19 um affecting you at all at work or in your life tell me how that's for you right now you're 25 you know this would be yeah. is this the first um pandemic or this sort of experience yes. you've been through yeah definitely it's the first pandemic that i've ever experienced in my life and i think the same for a lot of us uh, i think every every 100 years it seems to be that massive pandemic seemed to sweep us and not many people would have lived through the last one um yeah it's, it's had a huge impact so I think our, my daily life has changed quite a lot. Um, my husband, unfortunately, he was made redundant along with half of his team due to the coronavirus. And unfortunately, in haematology, our workload has also been reduced. A lot of our work is routine from patients seeing their doctors. And uh, a lot of patients are not going to their doctors at the moment because they're concerned of getting infected if they leave the house. And um, so we've actually had a large drop of work, so that's um, reduced my work hours as well. But you know, I guess we're all just trying to respond positively and do the best that we can. Um, my husband and I are trying to find the positives. We've been going for long walks. We live right near the Brundle wetlands, so there's a nice, um, a nice walking to 
trip that we can do. And, oh, that's um, good. Yeah, so get outside. Yeah, and then yeah. I spent a lot of time cooking and sharing recipes on my page. And yeah, yeah. yeah so I'll have it. We'll just chat about that while we're talking about um, that side right now. So you've set up a uh, a page called uh, Frugal Isolation Meals, and that's a that's a public yes. group, isn't it? Or is it a page? Yes. Yeah. So it's a public group on Facebook. Um, okay. And yeah, I guess I thought of the idea because everyone had been <laughs> everyone was stockpiling all of these um pantry essentials and i kind of thought oh maybe like you know a lot of people rely on fast food or they rely on um packaged food but not many people cook with like beans and rice and um those pantry staples and it would seem crazy to me that everyone's buying up all this food which i don't really see people cooking with very often and so i thought you know it's it's a pretty frugal way of living to use these pantry items and it might as well show people how to you know cook beans from scratch um and you know try and find savvy ways to reduce your food bills yeah um, and you've got a few people contributing too now so, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah that was that was a goal of it to get everyone to you know start a forum where they can post their ideas and um people have even posted like ideas of how to keep their fruit and veggies staying fresh in the fridge for longer um and yeah so many so many good recipes um using pantry staples and yeah uh, most most of the ones um that i've seen have you know averaged out to about a dollar maybe two dollars a serving which is really quite frugal mm. when you consider that to compare it to like fast food or if you know if you're having a nice big steak for dinner you know yeah. it could easily be ten dollars a person <laughs> so it's it's quite it's quite an interesting um way of cooking yeah and i don't know i'm kind of seeing it as a good challenge it's a good way to change the change the way that we're all thinking and think positively and for me, it's nice to have a challenge. <laughs> well, it's good too. I mean, I think um, being able to budget a bit better too. Like, I mean, obviously there's people in these last few weeks have just 100% lost their jobs. And yes. um, and I think I've, I've, I mean, I love cooking as well. But, um, you know, when you actually get into the use of those staples, like, you know, like yeah. oh, there's one dish I make and really it uses three tins, yeah. all of them max $1.50 each. And yeah. I've got all the spices, like, and really it only takes then maybe like a carrot and a stick of celery. And yep. it's so cheap, Absolutely. it's so nourishing because it's got all the lovely lentils and you know, a yep. really good mix of um, proteins and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it, that's, that's what I saw when I saw what you were putting together. I thought, oh, if people can understand. Yeah, it's, to, so, to do it's that. so easy. It, it is really just so easy to throw, you know, a couple of tins together. As, as you said, yeah, a bit of celery, a bit of carrot and herbs and spices. And yeah. you could have an amazing meal. You don't need these meal kits. You don't need, you know, um, these like they have a lot of those like curry sauces and everything that you can buy in a jar like you don't like you can use them if you yeah. like them but um you know it's so easy to just make it from home yourself and it, mm. it makes you feel better because you're eating something more natural um, oh yeah you and you can always eating turn around preservative so. too <laughs> you, exactly <laughs> yeah you can just turn around and really you, you'll know what to then always keep in your pantry but you know it just slows you down too i think because our life has had to slow down a lot in the last few weeks um yeah that is actually making you think, you know, I don't, no, I can't go out for one thing. Do I really need yeah. to spend money on takeaway? Not really. Um, yeah. So what can I pull out of the pantry? And it's, yeah, it's just that, that time, the peace and quiet of cooking is pretty amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw some meme online the other day and it was something like, we're all at the isolate, isolation point um, of having banana bread competitions. And because everyone <laughs> I everyone on Facebook seems to be making banana bread. I should <laughs> like, not oh, said that. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny because as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, you know, I did like see about four or five people post banana bread <laughs> in the last week and I just posted about banana bread. <laughs> oh, no. I think even so, yeah. Pink, Pink was even um, doing banana bread on her Instagram feed. Exactly. So <laughs> if you can find flour. <laughs> so people are welcome to join the frugal isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's It's... Yeah, it's everyone's welcome and it's it's really good to just see everyone joining together to, you know, talk about food and positive things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, still keep, keeping you occupied in the, in yes, the space exactly. in between. Um, yeah. Say if you could travel to a place in the world, which right now we can't catch a plane or do anything, um, where would you travel to and who would you take? Well, I mean, right now, right now in the world, I probably wouldn't want to travel anywhere. No. Um, but if I could pick any other time, um, I would choose to go back to Alaska with my husband. So we had our honeymoon in Alaska. We did a um, Alaskan cruise and it was just so beautiful. The glaciers are just breathtaking. And, you know, we just spent so much time thinking, oh, I wish we were back in Alaska. It was so beautiful. Oh, so, wow. yeah, there's nowhere else I'd rather go. And if anyone's considering going to Alaska when it's safe, definitely do it. <laughs> okay. It will not be regret. You won't regret it. <laughs> oh, my, my girlfriend went along and did a, um, she supported the, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's like Idatarod um, Huskies. You know, the, oh, yeah, yeah. the husky races. Yeah, she went along and actually was like the dog minder. I was like, oh, my God, it was oh, just beautiful. That would the photos. Be such a fun job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she loves it. You get to play <laughs> with dogs and, you know, live in Alaska. That would be beautiful. Well, that's an option. Sign me up. <laughs> I'll change my career path again. <laughs> just look after dogs the rest of my life in winter. <laughs> I see it. Just let your poor pussy kept behind, but it should be all right. Yeah, oh, I should be all right. She always looks grumpy anyway. <laughs> oh, actually, that was what I was going to say. What, what do you think... Um, so you've got a cat to occupy you. What would you yeah. um, do to make life ridiculously fun in relation to the way you're living right now? Well, I, I took, it took ages trying to think of a good answer for this, but my mind kept going back to a super random idea, which would be that life would feel ridiculously fun if animals could talk. Because I think it would just be crazy to know what's going through their minds um, and to know what they're feeling or thinking. I want to know how sassy my cat really is because she always <laughs> looks pretty sassy i reckon i reckon she could you know totally yeah she could ruin me <laughs> um, but yeah and also like dogs i would love to know what goes through their minds when they're eating like their their owner's shoes or doing other weird dog things like are they really cute or are they just hyperactive toddlers like who yeah. knows Especially how busy the um, Instagram feeds would be if everyone actually put out all their animals speaking. Exactly, exactly. You could have videos of people talking to their pets and everything. It would cure loneliness. It's a great <laughs> idea. It should happen. <laughs> I know. Pet, pets are wonderful at this stage. I'm very grateful I've got a few hanging around at the yes, moment. Yes, so exactly. Keeps it's good to have that extra body in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, what piece of advice would you give 10-year-old you um, that you wish you'd been given by your mum? Well, I mean, my mom was always pretty good at giving advice. So <laughs> I guess I kind of formed this answer more um, as just advice that I've learned in my life. Um, but it, it's relatable to everyone. And that is, don't believe that all of your choices in life are permanent. You may take certain steps in your life that, or your career that don't suit you forever. Um, and it's never too late to go back and change that path. In fact, you might learn the most wonderful things about yourself if you, if you changed your path. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I did that and 
I guess that's where it's drawing from my own advice is that, you know, I did not see any way um, when I left chefing, I thought, you know, that was the only pathway that would exist for me. Um, and it took five years um, going through TAFE and you need to correct that path. But, you know, I've, it, I realized that I was really strong and determined. And now I know I, if I set my mind to something, I can, I can achieve that. And, you know, any 10 year old girl needs to, or any 10, yeah, 10 year old girl needs to know that they can, you know, they can conquer the world. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. That is lovely. And, um, and I saw that with, um, just said the part that I did know about you, like the determination in you and your, um, <coughs> your group of science student friends had (laughs) like you were just all driven and you know we were I think we we definitely held each other up through that degree yeah (laughs) I don't think I don't think at least for me I wouldn't have been able to make it through that degree if I didn't have that strong friendship group and you know we we all got along so well and we all pushed each other um to do our best and yeah we we smashed our degree and (laughs) look at us now (laughs) well as I said but even even that in terms of that advice is you know like if you hadn't done it you wouldn't have actually ever met all those people you know so no exactly the connection you've got that goes on afterwards you know the shared passion as well as you know the stories of all the tears and the the laughter and the beers and and what you all had (laughs) together but anyway (laughs) too much fun (laughs) too much fun but yeah no I I can't imagine a world where I didn't make those friends. That would, yeah. that would be devastating. So yeah. your pathway, is, it can always change. And yeah, you will always find something yeah. good in your life, no matter yeah. what you choose. Find your tribe. You know? Yes, find your tribe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, what is your, we're going to actually wrap up soon, but um, what is your favourite quote and what does it mean to you? Okay, so the quote that I've chosen is, be strong because things will get better. It may be stormy now, but it never rains forever. And I, I mean, I've never really had a favorite quote, but I read that a few weeks ago and it kind of summed up how life feels right now for for a lot of us. Um, The whole world is kind of in an awful situation, but we need to remember that it won't last forever and we'll find strength in the darkness and come together as people and get through it. Uh, it does not ever rain forever. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very extraordinary time for everyone. To yes, absolutely. And you know, we're all going to learn something from it. It's going to be really awful for a lot of people. And um, you know, hopefully, we'll never have a crisis or a pandemic like this happen again in our lifetime. Hopefully, we can all learn from it and you know find find the positives. That's the thing. Yeah, the, the amount of learning possibility right now is incredible. So. Yes, um, exactly. Hopefully it does prevent something like it ever happening again to yes. something to halt Definitely. our world as much as it's halted us. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, so on the end of it, let's go. So what's your favourite song? And have you got a fond memory um, that it brings up for you? <laughs> so I've chosen the song Bring It All Back by S Club 7. Oh, and the song has so many, <laughs> it has so many memories. Um, probably the best memories was probably from dancing all night at retros with my best friend Sam. Um, yeah, we have really, really dorky dance moves, but we always have so much fun. <laughs> we always hit that 90s playlist and, you know, it's, it's good. It's good fun. I wouldn't. Yeah want to do anything else <laughs> yeah oh that's lovely that's good uh, s club seven was definitely around my house a lot and um, yes <laughs> being my daughters will be the same age as you um yes is there, is there anything else that you'd like to to raise or is that good um, where you're at? no i think i think i think i've said my bit <laughs> you said your bit you've shared yeah, yeah. and i think um yeah people just i think it's good uh the 
the feedback I'm getting is there's a lot of people in your age group, you know, in that, that 20s that they are wanting to shift and it's not about this pandemic, you know, making people actually come up with a new, um, what's that word they say, the side hustle. Um, yeah. Some people are having to work their butts off to get through because they can't break away because you're actually an essential worker. Um, yeah. Yet, yet you've got restrictions while other people are getting the, the chance to actually take a new path uh, yeah. not, not because they really wanted to because it's been forced no. but um, I think it's just at the moment people are thinking differently and um, just to hear how you shifted um, yes. and, and, and made good of the situation too by having that frugal um, isolation meals group um, contribute your experience is um, pretty yes. amazing um, for you a scientist at 25 married mother of a cat yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very grumpy looking cat, but she is very cute sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Hey, look, um, Naomi really wanted to say thank you for coming and talking today. And um, you are my last single digit uh, podcast. Oh, no. Yay! <laughs> On to number 10 next week. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm just going so far with it. Um, so, yeah, just um, I'll, I'd love to have you come back again in the future and maybe we can have a talk around um, your chef's experience and, and the yeah, food meals again because obviously – yeah what we're learning now needs to carry on. And, oh, for you know, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And so much a, people can learn from it. <laughs> oh, I just think even when people actually are earning money, how much savings they'll be able to absolutely make exactly. by not spending, you know. It's the easiest place to cut your budget is through food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Yes. And, thank um, you so and thank much you. for having me. Okay. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Bye. Bye.